Welcome back to the Mysteria podcast. I'm Marcus De Silva, and joining me today is Matt Bowles. Nice to meet you. Likewise, Marcus. Glad to be here. Today's going to be, I, I was kind of thinking about this podcast for a few days just because I, I kind of like to mull things over and kind of feel what angle I'm going to approach it with. And it's kind of funny because um, for the work, we'll, we'll say it's very broadly um, tech security and you'll clear, clear that up. <laughs> but very generally, that's the idea. And it was kind of funny because I have no concept of anything to do with anything online. So I'm full of questions today and not very many answers. So hopefully you got them. Well, good, maybe <laughs> I can fill in some gaps there and uh, we will make you an expert on it, but hopefully you'll be aware of some of the pitfalls and have a general idea of what's going on in the big cloud up there. So. <laughs> right on, I love it. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what do you do? Yeah, sure. So I was originally uh, born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, so a prairie boy, if you will. Uh, my dad was a lawyer for uh, CP Rail, so we moved around the country a fair bit when I was a kid. So I've lived in Montreal and then Toronto, uh, went to university at the University of Western Ontario. Um, and then uh, I started my professional career. I was working for Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto as an IT tech. And that's sort of where it all started on the IT path for me. And then uh, I got headhunted by a company out here in Vancouver. So I uh, asked my then girlfriend, now wife, if she was interested in maybe trying out Vancouver for a year. That was 21 years ago. We're still here. <laughs> so it worked out pretty well for us. And uh, yeah, so right now I'm actually not working. I'm between gigs. Uh, I won't go into the details behind that. But for the last five, six years, uh, my specialty has been Amazon Web Services. So that public cloud provider. Uh, which powers a huge chunk of the internet and the websites that people visit uh, and apps that people use on a day-to-day -day basis. And my specialty is uh, networking and securing those environments. So security of the data itself, moving around the internet, and also when it's at rest and uh, making sure it doesn't leak out. Perfect. So questions, let's do it. Right sure. into it. I guess we'll start with, how about we go social media? We'll start with social media. Um, sure. as far as all that's concerned, I mean, what are, what are some of the things that people, uh, that consumers may be unaware of when it comes to the posts that they put up or maybe the content that they view on apps? Yeah. So it's pretty amazing uh, to me, uh, for social media, you know, that's a pretty broad umbrella, you know, so I'll, I'll get more specific to say Facebook or TikTok or even Twitter. Um, it's amazing what people, to me, what people put out there without even thinking, right? Uh, it, people just like where, where they are, what they're eating, you know, what they're doing, telling people that are not at home and they're not going to be home for weeks on end, stuff like that. It, it's always kind of amazing to me because people divulge stuff. They would never tell a perfect stranger on the street that they have no, no qualms about putting that on a website like Facebook, which I've always found really interesting because it's just, I understand the need that's. I want to communicate. I want to tell people about myself, but you would never, a lot of the stuff people put there, they would never do in such an anonymous manner just on the street. Like if I was just walking down Granville street, downtown Vancouver, I wouldn't just tell some guy, yeah, I'm going away on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> like you just, you wouldn't do that. Right. And people have no qualms about doing that on Facebook. So that's interesting. So to me, I, it's always, uh, you know, I, and I'm not trying to say Facebook's evil, you know, I've got some opinions about their marketing models and all that. I will, I will dive into that. 
But uh, I've always just, as I've repeated myself a bit, just amazed at how much people are willing to put out there uh, about themselves and just leave that out there exposed and not really think about long-term what that actually means. It's like, I could get into people putting pictures of their kids and stuff like that. You know, my wife is very uh, particular. She doesn't post anything about our children on Facebook because frankly, it is forever. I mean, once an image is up there, you're never going to get rid of it. Not that there's anything bad, but you're making the assumption your children want that there later in life, right? So it's, it's just interesting to me just how people are just so giving to that platform and they don't really think about what they're getting out of it in return, right? We had to do a, a quick edit there because it was a, it was a fair bit going on on my end here. But that was a, that was a good answer. And I, I'll, I'll follow that up with you maybe a little more specifically with talking about uh, perhaps Instagram or TikTok. Yeah, sure. So for Instagram, I mean, t- I love them in with Facebook. I mean, they're owned by Facebook. It's the same security controls and everything. And my issue with them more than anything else is they're mining the data without you even realizing it. It's in their terms of services. It's a default opt-in. They don't ask, oh, is it okay if we do this? Uh, The new iOS has actually changed that actually. So it's nice to see that trend actually reversed. But uh, these apps take a lot of data from the other apps installed on your phone. And to me, that's very fishy. I mean, that's they have no business knowing that as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if you want to use that application as a consumer, so be it, that's your prerogative. But I don't think a lot of people, I mean, no one reads those terms of services, right? Scroll, scroll, I agree, off you go. <laughs> There's actually a great South Park episode about that. That's about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, so to me, Instagram is not terrible. TikTok is much worse in my opinion uh, because it's owned by communist China um, and all the servers reside in China. So uh, I understand the targeted marketing that Facebook is doing. I mean, I don't agree with it, but I understand what the business model there is. TikTok, I have questions. What's going on there? Like, what do we buy or engage with Chinese commerce that matters to them? To me, it just, it's, it's weird to me. Uh, I mean, and it took off obviously during the pandemic because people had lots of free time on their hands and lots of screen time to fill. But to me, TikTok is, it's just, um, there are concerns there just from uh, who owns it and where does that data reside uh, and what are they accessing? And it's just, to me, they're, because it's not a paid platform, you just use it. So the revenue stream, I don't, I, to me, it's just very fishy. I don't like that one in particular, just because, and then if you think about it from an end user perspective, you get the gratification. Oh, I made a video, perhaps it goes viral, but you have that 30 second snippet, whatever it is. I hope that was worth handing over all the data on your phone to someone that you have no idea who they are or what they're using that for. I mean, it's like there was that app that came out uh, early in the pandemic. I, the name escapes me, but it's what it made you look like what, what you would look like if you're a really old senior citizen. And that came out of Russia. And it's the same concerns. I mean, so you get you laugh at your photo for three seconds, five seconds, whatever it is. You just handed all the data on your phone over to Russia. I mean, again, to what end? I mean, I hope that was worth five seconds of laughing. To me, it's not. But uh, and that's back to the initial point I was making. The first question is just, People don't really think about where their data is going. It's the short, and the apps are very much intentionally designed this way to give you that instant gratification, a flashing light, something that gives you that, ooh, there's a neural response. This feels good, the endorphin release. I feel good about what I just did on this app. But 
what did you trade for that? And is that really worth it? I mean, to some people, yeah, maybe you don't care. Um, you know, I do, but that's that's my business to care, right? So I don't know. I, 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 to circle back, to me, it's always just amazing that people don't think about what they're handing over, especially when you're not being paid for it, right? Well, and when you're when you talk about that sort of that default opt-in, to me, I really find that hard to believe that that's even legal. Like, how is that actually? Yeah, so the laws are actually catching up with that. Um, there's uh, legislation underway in the United States. Some states have been more proactive about it. Uh, California has some very good data protection laws. Um, hard to enforce when it's at a state level. Uh, the feds are, the U.S. federal government is looking at it. Uh, the Canadian government typically follows what the U.S. does in that regard. But right now, there is nothing. And you're right. It's bang on the money. It is amazing to me that that's legal to say you're default in instead of default out. Because implied consent to me is wrong, right? <laughs> it's a, it should be the other way around. It should be very much explicit that you say, okay, this is what you can do with my data. This is what you can do with the other applications that are installed on my phone, as opposed to scroll, scroll, I agree. Oh, what did I just agree to? I have, like nobody reads that stuff, right? So it's just, it's, it's amazing that uh, that culture has been allowed to get away with that for so long. Part of that's been driven by what these apps do to make revenue to begin with, which is using your data for marketing, right? So it's kind of this default, okay, well, people want to consent to this, but do we really? Uh, I would probably suggest the answer is no. And as far as the progression of that, like I always get interested in, okay, we're currently, we'll just say we're at the destination. And I always find it interesting to kind of work work backwards and see how things fell into place to get us to where we are. And when it comes to, I mean, I guess MySpace was like the real first social media, I suppose. It probably would have been, yeah. No, I think that's, uh, I mean, there. I mean, you could argue some of the community boards before that, but I mean, I think MySpace for sure was the first one that sort of commercialized it. Um, and that's the first one that certainly became mainstream. I would definitely agree with that. And then after that, would it have been, I guess it would have been Facebook? Yeah, I think Facebook would have been the next big one to, to really take off. And, you know, it's interesting. I've uh, I've never actually had a Facebook account. Um, being in the industry that I was in, uh, or am in rather, uh, at the time, I remember when it came out, it was very popular. People were like, oh, I'm reconnecting with people from high school and all <laughs> this. And uh, the theory of it sounds great. It's like, oh, that's cool that people are making these connections and all that but to me the biggest red flag was their ipo on the nasdaq and it's a free platform so how exactly are they making money right and that to me i was kind of cynical right off the start and then of course there's always never mind the the revenue streams uh what facebook has become i mean it's almost 20 years old now uh i think it is actually i have to look at i think it debuted in 2001 i'd have to double check that but uh now it's just basically an online bullying platform, right? Like it's it's amazing. It's a, for every great story there is about someone that's been reconnected to someone that's a long lost connection from high school or or what have you, or even a family connection on the other side of the world. There's probably ten people that are being bullied or getting sort of negative reinforcement through this channel, and it's just I don't know. To me, it's it it can be very toxic. I mean, these apps. They can have a very positive outreach. They tend to get pretty toxic, though, which is an unfortunate byproduct of, of how they work. But 
maybe that's a reflection of society at large. I don't know, but uh, you know, it, it to me, it is disturbing. I, funny that you say that because I was thinking that exact same thing about my personal Instagram uh, account because I've gone through. I, I'm really not. I'm really not big on any social media, mm -hmm. and it's. I guess throughout the last few years, I'll definitely go through periods of time where I'll just, you don't delete your Instagram account, but you like deactivate it or yep. something, you know, and then you come back to it when you're ready to yeah, yeah. have fun again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I was thinking that like, you know, funny enough, I actually did reconnect with a high school friend within the last kind of like few weeks. And I was kind of doing the math on that. And I was even thinking to myself, I'm like, why do I have a personal account? Like at the end of the day, like what, what is it really doing for you? And okay, I've reconnected, I think in total three people, like three yeah. people, but okay. When you were growing up, you graduate high school, right? Yep. That's it. When would you run into someone? If you literally ran into them, you, you wouldn't kind of have this sort of, you're always connected somehow. You can just sort of click a button and find Yeah, something. so I graduated high school in 1993. Uh, so that pretty, like, cell phones were just becoming mainstream at that point. And even that's arguably early in the curve for that. So yeah, you know, a lot of these people, you might never see them again, quite literally, unless it was some type of reunion event, or, you know, there was a pub night, what have you, right. But uh, yeah, and, and it is interesting, right? You'd probably keep in touch with the people that you went to the same university with, and obviously you'd have a few close friends that you would keep touch with irrespective, but it, 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 there is a tangible benefit there. I mean, that that is a good thing that these platforms do enable. It's just, to me, it's always kind of, there's the nagging at what cost, though, and also the potential for that to be abused in other ways. I mean, Twitter in particular is a toxic cesspit right i mean you can't put anything on there without someone attacking you right it's just it's amazing to me that uh people even use it anymore because it just seems so generally toxic although i guess you get the entertainment value when you have guys like donald he's not on it anymore of course but you know i think a lot of people were probably reading it just to see what he was posting that day and there there are personalities like that uh, influencers i guess as they're called um again though i mean it's how do you consume media at the end of the day i mean it's just never been really my style and i but i understand why people do it it's just what these apps do and how they generate their revenue and the data that they pull off their phone to me it's always just it's not enough frankly you know i think facebook should pay their users i mean uh, dead serious when i say that when you look at the valuation of that company and how much money <clears throat> they've made off mining all of that contact information and all the networks that people have established on their platform it's astonishing how much money that they have made. Like Zuckerberg is off the charts rich, right? And people just gave it to him, really, when you think about it. Like, it's just very, very strange to me. Well, and it's not just the the money, but the influence. That too, yeah, 100%. And the algorithms, um, I haven't seen it. I've had a few people tell me I need to watch it. It's uh, the social network, I think it's called, on Netflix. And they talk about how these applications have been designed. And uh, again, I haven't seen it, but I, I have a good idea what the recurring theme is. You know, they made it with good intentions of what we're talking about, making these connections that are long lost, et cetera, or perhaps finding new communities that you want to be a part of. But the algorithms that they write and they, even games that you install on your phone, like, you know, Candy Crush, stuff like that, they're all 
coded in a certain way to flashlights and move things in a certain way to give you like that reward to make you feel good to give you that endorphin rush and it's, it's just as I, I'm repeating myself a lot, I guess, but it's just, you know, the cost of that to your brain and, you know, you get sucked into these holes where you just scroll, 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 and they take track of where you stop and what gets your interest. And then they just feed that into you more. And, you know, I, one day, I'm sure, give it 10, 15 years, maybe it won't even be that long. There'll be, I'm sure there'll be some fascinating studies on the impact of Twitter and Facebook in particular on make America great again, because you get these people and the pandemic just accelerated it for the last year. People isolated, they're not allowed to go out to see people, they're not getting their normal social interactions. So they're spending so much time on the device, scrolling, 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 just getting sucked deeper and deeper into what can be some pretty crazy conspiracy theories, right? It's just, it's, and it's just amazing. Uh, like the woman that was shot at the US Capitol, um, she was an ex-U.S. military person. Apparently, she got completely sucked down the mega rabbit hole on uh, both Facebook and Twitter. And that, and what role did they play in having an application that's intentionally feeding that content to a person like that? I mean, to me, that's pretty irresponsible. I mean, pouring gasoline on the floor. <laughs> all, it, all it takes is one spark and that fire lights. And that's not good for people's mental health, right? Well, it, it certainly seems unethical to me yeah oh there's definitely a lot of questions questions to be answered around the ethics of some of these platforms that's for sure yeah and you know it's funny like i was thinking about i guess the the nice thing about my instagram usage is that the amount of uh, michael jordan clips that are just flooding my screen is just like starts yeah. Um, so I guess for that reason, so they're feeding your sports. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, though. But know. Healthy, yeah. right? It's just if you happen to be on the conspiracy, you know, QAnon train, that might not take you to a very good place. Yeah. Between between uh, old school basketball clips and, and yeah. UFC knockouts, well, it's just flooded. It's just flooded. <laughs> but even that, I mean, how does like how does that whole how does that work? Just the fact that is it purely just based off an algorithm that understands what you like and then is the whole point of giving you more what you want just to keep you engaged on the that's app what I, you just hit the nail on the head marcus that's 100 percent what's going on there um i won't get too technical on it but they do use artificial intelligence machine learning uh to make that feedback loop even faster than it used to be uh they uh so the algorithms uh feed your traffic behavior what you do on that app where you stop what you scroll what you link to they feed that into these learning models that these platforms use and that's what serves back your recommendation that's the recommendation engine even netflix does it right it's like you might be interested in watching this that's far less evil if you will because you know they're just giving you this is a show you might want to watch because you watch this right or you watch this movie you're probably going to like that one in that case that's a good business case. That's a nice use case. You don't, you don't too, you're not too worried about it. When it's someone reading conspiracies or other questionable content, and it just keeps feeding you back into that loop, that cannot be good for people's mental health. Well, and and we were discussing it earlier, and we we kind of moved away from it, but I just kind of had a thought about it, so we'll yep. back it up a bit. When we were talking about sort of the uh, the evolution of the social media through the years and you pointed out that Facebook 
Yeah, because it did start off as just like, oh, you know, connect with people or actually, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that it was uh, one of the purposes of it in the beginning was like to actually be like a sort of dating app uh, or a dating network. And I, I think that was one of the use cases they had in mind for it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it was ever it's meant to be its primary function, but I think they saw that as a, as a revenue matching stream for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's another, I, I should probably go watch some of these movies. I never went to, I never saw uh, the Zuckerberg movie. I can't even remember what it's called. <laughs> I've never watched that one either, but uh, yeah, I think that was definitely one of the, one of their potential revenue models. And at what point, or maybe just kind of more generally, when did these, or well, I guess we'll, we'll keep it specific to Facebook. When did they kind of realize like, okay, if we can track people's data, we can get access to a different stream of revenue. Like, cause that, that seems, if you're running a corporation, it almost, which Facebook is, it, it seems interesting that there did seem to be a bit of a shift from, oh, we're just gonna have this thing and oh, you can talk to people. And then kind of comes into, actually we can do some, we can make a lot of money here, you know? Just yeah. So I actually think that was their mission from day one. I think they presented the application to the world. And so this is a great platform for you to reconnect and make these connections to social networks that perhaps you're not already engaged with. And there's all very positive and this is going to be good for your social outlook over here, just out of sight. I think the whole time their model was we're, we're mining your data and selling it because <laughs> they went to IPO pretty fast. I mean, I'd have to look up at the timelines and all that, but uh, I, I don't think there was a big period of time between, I'm sure when there were students launching the very first version of it, they had some altruistic intent, if you will. I think it got, I don't want to call it dark and sinister, but I think it went to how do we monetize this very, very quickly. Uh, after they were in operation for a few years, I think they realized they were barely scraping the surface of the monetization of the platform and they really went for it. And now we have the modern Facebook, right? And I guess is the whole point of, and you, you've referred it to mining. Is that the right terminology for that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, to me, that's what's happening, right? So you install it on your phone and you scrolled and said, yeah, I agree to this. Put this app on my phone. I'm going to start using it. And you didn't read the bit that said, yeah, we're going to talk to all the other apps on your phone and see where you've been, use GPS information, access photos, the works. To me, that's mining. The interesting thing with that, what happens if you refuse the terms and conditions? You don't get to use the app, right? So <laughs> and that's, they always had that, right? So um at points, Facebook has put in the ability to not access photos and stuff like that. But I think at this start, it was all very much default on. Uh, and the, the implied consent, uh, now it's iOS has actually forced their head on it. Uh, it's going to be a slow trans transition into explicitly allowing everything because uh, basically it's been grandfathered, as I understand it. So an app that's already in place and has all these permissions is going to retain them. You have to go turn them off. But if you went and bought a brand new iPhone today with the new iOS and put Facebook on it now, it would actually right away say, okay, you're going to allow this, this, this. So like GPS, camera, contacts, all that sort of stuff. And it is like the funny thing, I guess, because I, I don't really have 
any background in it. So I'm, I'm looking at it just from fresh eyes or ignorant eyes, whatever you want to say. Yeah. But it, it just seems surprising to me, like the whole purpose of getting access to that is literally just to sell you stuff. Basically, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they're selling that data to other marketing firms and other uh, and other entities to to sell you things, right? But I mean, uh, that's that's been the modus operandi from day one. It just seems amazing to me. Like that, that's like an entire market. Like that, that's yeah. like, like how unusual. And people just willingly said yeah sure this is great right and that's to i mean i i was one of the early crusty red flag guys like this seems wrong that their ipoa got such a high price on the nasdaq and you don't even pay to use the app like where is this money coming from <laughs> it's it's amazing but yeah there's i mean uh cambridge analytica right that's the company out of the uk like they completely monetize making these huge data lakes out of data extracted out of Facebook and how to target market all the people that are within those networks. It's crazy. Yeah. I, it just, I think it's kind of funny because when you think back to, you know, we kind of talked about that too. Like when you think back to when Facebook was just start, and we'll say Facebook cause they pretty much were like the first, they were the first ones really to. Yeah. And when you say social media, I mean, that includes a lot of platforms. Let's let's not kid ourselves. Facebook mm -hmm. is King Kong on that particular block. And, and just seems so like to think about where we are now and where we came from, it's almost like you probably couldn't even really imagine that we would be at this point. It, it seems hard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, when you think about the transformation from, and I'll use the date, but I, I graduated high school in 93, as I said, to now in 2021, the transformation from, you know, phones that were kind of the big white brick that you plugged <laughs> into the cigarette lighter in your car to a device like this that has full-blown GPS, is talking to the internet all the time, faster than a lot of laptops, right? And it's just, it's an amazing transformation in basically 30 years. Like, it's just nuts. And with the, so talking about social media, you know, or their apps that you download, they're not automatically on a smartphone. They're things that you have to go out and download and, and put them on. But when yep. it comes to security, and the reason I'm asking, I'm going to ask this question is because I'm kind of thinking of the, the really infamous celebrity nudes that were leaked all over the internet yeah. I guess, oh, five years ago now like it, it seemed like it was really oh yeah, it's been an ongoing issue ever since iCloud came around uh generally speaking what that boils down to uh people are very stupid with their passwords um <laughs> you know and it's uh i I, I would love to be able to say they were very sophisticated hacks that these guys that got these new photos or you look at Piers Morgan with the uh, voicemail hacking that he did back with the Royal Family. You'd love to think that these are all very sophisticated. They're not. They're just people brute forcing and trying weak passwords. Or like with the voicemail hacking, a lot of these phones, people just left the default password as it was shipped. It's like, so you dial the number, hit pound, plug in the four pin, the four digit pin, and, and you're in. And in some of those, it was that easy. Uh, otherwise, it's like people just, you know, they... Again, there's so much data that people put out about themselves on these platforms. It's like, well, my dog's name is Ginger, and I was born on this day. People just start making these combinations to just try the brute force, and it's really that easy. 
And that's why, like, if you're really concerned about this, this is my pro tip to anyone that happens to be listening to this. Turn on multi-factor authentication, MFA, for all of these platforms, because then you can have the dumbest password in the world and it doesn't matter because if that a person doesn't have the, the multi-factor authentication capability, they're not going to get in. So, I mean, obviously, strong passwords. I'm being a little bit facetious when I say I have weak passwords. But, uh, you know, turning on MFA kills almost all of that because then there's no way a hacker could have the device to, to spoof your MFA. Um, but yeah, seriously, like people getting into iCloud accounts, it really was just a, a circumstance of people having really stupid passwords. There was that guy uh, just in the last year, I could probably look it up pretty fast, but there was a, I, get, I think he was in the Netherlands, guessed Trump's Twitter password, right? And it was something stupid, like make America great again, 2020. <laughs> it, was, it was really that easy. It was like, and that's that's why you turn on MFA, right? Because uh, you know, unless you have some crazy password that only you remember, uh, and most people don't. Let's be honest; most people pick something that's near and dear, a birthday, maybe it's a relative's birthday, uh, pet name, spouse name, what what have you, right? So people do and can and will guess it, right? So is this really? Uh, I can't remember if it was now you see me one or two. But they're really, I'm not sure if you saw those movies. They're, yeah, they're just kind of good movies. Like, uh, they're a bunch of magicians and they're like, they pull off high. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like Magic Ocean's Eleven, if you will. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, I haven't seen them. Yeah. But there's this really kind of funny scene where they, they steal like a hundred million dollars for some, from some guy. And they, that's how they did it. They were like asking him questions. And he was like, oh, my dog's name's this, or my uncle's name was this. And then all of a sudden, they put the passwords together and stole all this crap. <laughs> yeah, there. that's actually the reality of it, though. That's how a lot of these hacks do occur. It's just uh, brute forcing passwords and scraping information that is available, whether uh, and that's why... You know, to circle back to one of the very early themes of this conversation is think twice about what you put up there, right? <laughs> Especially if your basic password's on it. Well, and with today, you know, it's not just the fact that adults have smartphones and, and social media, yeah. stuff, but younger and younger kids. I mean, it's it's yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll cite a story right there. Uh, my brother lives in Toronto and my niece, who is now 16 years old, set up a YouTube channel at age 11 or 12. I think it was this is about five years ago, four years ago. And he was kind of like horrified because, you know, she was just there was nothing bad on it, but she was just basically putting her life out there. And it's like, what on earth are you doing? You're only 12. Like, this is this is not something that you should be broadcasting to the world. And again, there was it was just an innocent intention, right? But it's just, you know, a child has no, or an adolescent even, can't realize what the potential ramifications of, of disclosing so much information is, right? Well, and, and you kind of touched on it just there, but maybe a little bit further, like what are the, what are some things that maybe are a bit more unique to younger people? Well, how about we say like under 18, we'll, we'll classify children as under 18 for, sure. for this frame of reference. What are some things that may be a little more unique as far as dangers when it comes to posting stuff or security being breach you know is there anything that's a little more unique to younger people than adults in that sense i don't think there's anything unique more so that that, that just they're more vulnerable and maybe don't think quite as much about what the ramifications of what they're posting are um 
the internet is the cesspit. There's a lot of bad <laughs> actors out there. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it can be a very evil, nasty place. Uh, so when you're posting something like a YouTube channel that's unauthenticated access, anyone can go and find it and watch it. Um, you don't know who's watching that and you don't know what their intentions are, right? Um, you know, you, you probably worry about that a little less at this age when we're talking about stuff like this and, and putting that on a podcast, you know, so what? Um, but if you're a kid talking about where you live and mom and dad are going away and I'm at home by myself, I mean, it's just, and these things happen, right? And, you know, and I mean, if I'm not mistaken, there's a, like catfishing is what it's called. I mean, I'm taking a, a slightly different spin on that, but these kids can get engaged with these online conversations. You have no idea who's actually on the other side of that head. And even if they do flip on a camera, you don't actually know that's them, right? There's, there's ways to cheat all of this, right? So it's just, to me, it's just uh, the risk is the unknown of who you're actually interacting with, right? It's like, would you take your kid down to Maine and Hastings and just let them walk around by themselves? Probably not. So <laughs> it's kind of the same idea, just in the cyberspace. And it's so, it's funny that you bring up that catfishing stuff. Cause I, I, I kind of, the, anytime I hear about a catfishing story, I kind of, it just, it really amazes me. They're not that sophisticated. That's They're not at all. Yeah, I know. It's always, it's, I don't know. I've actually seen it a few times. My wife likes it. It's a guilty pleasure of hers. There's a show on MTV called Catfish. And it's these two guys that go around. And it's these people reach out to them and say, oh, I'm in love with so-and-so. And they try to crack the case with people whether or not it's real. And it's always just amazing to me how, like, to, for lack of a better word, stupid it all is. <laughs> it's, it's like, really? Like, and, and why do people even engage in this behavior? Like, what are you doing, first off? But I mean, you know, that's we're getting into a whole other topic there about mental stability, I suppose. But uh yeah, it's just amazing to me just like how unsophisticated it really is and just how stupid people are, right? Well, and it does seem like there's, and I haven't really figured it out. I, I kind of, I'll read about it and then I'll kind of move on to a different topic, but it, it it must be psychological. Like it has to be some psychological component to like, how can you be so trusting? Like it almost seems like- yeah. uh, something this bad couldn't be on my phone because why would it be on my phone like it, it almost yeah, the trust level is amazing is it? it just kind of this default oh well it must be good i don't know <laughs> i guess i have the benefit of doing what i've been doing professionally i, I kind of default the other way it's like what do you want <laughs> what is your real intention here it's like something seems off by default to me so but yeah it is amazing at just how easily trusting people are online and uh, just accepting of what they're told without really any verification that any of it's real, right? And when it comes to messaging, uh, like I, I have an iPhone, I've, I've always had an iPhone, so we'll, we'll just yep. say iMessage. Was that that information, was that always uploaded to the cloud? Because it almost, if I remember, it almost seems like maybe five or six years ago, there was a bit of a switch where at least on my phone, because the reason I know this is because when I got a new iPhone, I noticed that the, not warnings, but like the notifications on like, oh, do you want this backed up or anything like that to the cloud? It seemed a little more what well, was on the screen, whereas before I never really saw that. But was that always a function of, of messaging? Was that it would be stored? So it depends on what kind of message it, it, it was. So if it was just straight SMS text, 
your provider would have held a copy of that and the different providers. So whether that's Bell or Telus or Fido, what have you, Rogers, it's Fido, I think Fido is Rogers now. Anyways, um, they would store that and they all had their own policies around that. Generally speaking, they would hold stuff for about a year. Uh, that was kind of just a rule of thumb. Uh, iMessage is its own little sort of unique version of that. So SMS and, I, and iMessage are almost interchangeable to most people. There is a subtle difference. If you're on an iPhone and you're texting with someone and the bubbles are green as opposed to blue, that's actually SMS text. Apple's not storing that. That's your provider that stores that. But iCloud, yeah, they absolutely store that. And that's always been a feature of it. And that's that was kind of one of their selling points is like, if you're a Mac user, it's like, ooh, your messages are all there and they're also on your phone or they're on your iPad if you have it set up everywhere, right? And that was kind of the sell was, you know, you have the ecosystem of your devices and you can move seamlessly between all of them and don't worry, your content's all there. So yeah, absolutely. That was all going to the, cl to the cloud from day one on the IMS iMessage platform. And you refer to that as like, that was like a selling feature. Am oh, I for sure, right? That's uh, that, that was one of Apple's big things uh, when iPhones, <laughs> not when they first came out, but I want to say probably generation three or four was this is the ecosystem. Everything just works seamlessly together. That was one of big Apple's Apple's big marketing pushes was if you have a if you use a MacBook Air or you have a Mac desktop or you have an iPad and an iPhone, everything's just available between the devices. You can install something on your iPhone and that application will show up on your tablet if it's supported. That was absolutely one of the, the big pushes. And, and that's not unique to Apple by any stretch. Amazon's the same way if you have a Kindle and a Fire and all that. I mean, the ecosystem is kind of something that tech companies push for because they want you using their platform and their products only, right? They don't want you having an iPhone and then using something else. You know, they want you all using their tech, right, to get your revenue. I really do not understand how that would be something that people want. I don't, I actually don't understand. Ease of use, I think, Marcus, it comes down to ease of use. And that's just such a, like, I mean, I use a MacBook. That's what I use as a laptop. And to me, it's convenient to have the text on both. That doesn't bother me that that's how that works. Uh, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are, you know, you know, you have to think about that, though. Like, if you ever lose a device and it's not secured properly and everything's just automatically synced, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I do intentionally turn off some of the things, like FaceTime I keep very separate. Um, but the text is what I do leave enabled, interestingly enough. But, you know, I, I'm reasonably confident that if I ever lose any of these devices, no one's going to get get into them anyways. But, uh, you know, that definitely something to think about. Yeah, I must, I must really have just been born in the wrong decade or something because <laughs> yeah it's just I, I just don't understand like why oh you can have all, all this synced up together okay like so what like is it really that difficult to have two separate things and they operate independently like it's like oh it's not at all right and that was kind of the way everything <laughs> always worked and it's more or less a recent phenomenon um uh, you know 10 to 15 years anyways to bring the ecosystem in so to speak uh on these platforms and these devices um yeah no it's interesting right it's a, i always kind of laugh when new iphones come out right they're like oh it does this and the browser's faster and you could do this it's like yeah a guy my age i use it as a phone call me crazy <laughs> am i gonna surf the internet i do that on my computer i don't really want it like 
that said, I mean, there are times where it's convenient to just, you know, if you're out and you want to check something quickly, but like, I would say for me personally, internet browsing, like 5% or less is actually on the phone. Cause if I've actually want to read something, I want it on a nice big screen, et cetera. So. And how, as far as security, when it comes to, cause I know the only one that comes to mind right now would be like Bitdefender where you have these external security software apps yeah. or what, what have you that you can install. Is that like the most effective way to protect your, your data on your devices? Absolutely. You should uh, use device encryption, whether that's a laptop or a phone. Um, a lot of it's done by default these days because that's a, you know, it's, it's such a basic requirement. Um, it used to be kind of unencrypted, everything open, everything free, and the IT security world kind of snapped to and said, that's a bad idea. Let's by default encrypt everything and make it harder. Uh, so absolutely, that's a that's a, a ticket to me. I mean, uh, devices like phones in particular, though, you have to make sure that you have strong security to get into the device to begin with. Um, encryption only saves you uh, with respect to someone getting access to the storage on the device. If the device is active and they can get into it, who cares if it's encrypted because it's going to decrypt and let you read it anyways. Uh, so, you know, obviously point of entry, perimeter security, whatever you want to call it, is is always one of the most important aspects. But uh, encryption absolutely is uh, a must-have in my mind. And th this is going to be a really probably a lot of people listening would be like did you seriously ask that question that's so dumb but yeah so no, I'm not really though because people don't think about it right uh you know <laughs> uh if i lose my laptop right and someone tries to log in and they can't get into it okay well next thing they do is they rip the hard drive out if that's unencrypted that's very very easy to get at i'm not going to say encryption's a magic bullet there are you know i won't go too deep into it but it's about as good as it's going to get. So it's better to have that on. And with something like cookies, is that just a, cause that's through internet browsing and websites. And yeah. is there, is there a link between, cause I, I just don't really understand how that works or the concept of that, but is that something that would also be found in social media apps or? 100%, yeah, 100%. So cookies, the intention behind them originally was, you know, like most tech, good. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> they could be exploited uh, for bad. <laughs> so uh, cookies are 100%, uh, you need them. There's no, if, I, no, I shouldn't say that. You don't absolutely need them, but they definitely make browsing easier and, and more, uh, functional, for lack of a better word, for most users. Uh, that being said, uh, even on my own computer, I do almost all my internet browsing in Chrome's incognito mode, because again, uh, my default position is, why am I giving this data to people for nothing? Screw you. It's, you know, right? it's just, uh, a lot of people probably don't think of that though, right? And just use the regular Chrome sessions. And I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with using regular Chrome sessions. There are certain apps where like email, I do that in a regular Chrome session because I don't want to be logged in and all that all the time. I'm comfortable with the security on my device. But, uh, you know, if you're just out surfing the net, you know, I'd humbly suggest maybe do that in an incognito, even on your own computer, unless you want the histories to know what you went back so you could go back to it. I would humbly suggest incognito mode for almost everything. And again, does that just come down to data sharing for marketing purposes? You got it. Yep, yep, yep. So that's that's what cookies have been hijacked for. Um, 
for the most part uh it's that's why like when you're uh when you're browsing something and say you go to uh i don't know say you start looking at tires you need new tires for your cars like two days later you come back to your computer and you're browsing and you notice there's an ad for tires <laughs> it's like that's what that's all based off is the cookies off your local cache. And there are sites that say, okay, this guy has this search history based on these cookies, advertise this stuff to him now. With Amazon. And maybe that's good for some people, right? And that's what I mean. There, there's a happy balance there. Maybe some people like that. That I don't. Like, I always find that a little weird that, that you know, it's like big pushy computer, go away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's the trade-off, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. But with Amazon services, I was reading, so you got like Alexa and, well, that's the only one. She's got mine sparked up. She's listening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the only one that comes to mind for me, but I I was reading this article. There's Google Home too, right? And there's a few others, so yeah. And I was reading this article that said, uh, I can't remember if it was Canadian. I think it was Canadian. Can't remember now. Anyway. Point being, uh, the fact that lawyers are now working from home due to the pandemic, there were concerns that Alexa was listening in on confidential conversations between lawyers and clients. And so it kind of got me thinking when it comes to, and we'll say maybe specifically Alexa in this case, is that actually something that it does where it actually is listening and it stores that to be shared in the same way that the other apps and services that we've been mentioning? So it's a, uh, yes. Uh, the short answer is yes, it is always listening. Um, that's the nature of the beast. It's listening for the keyword uh, to turn it on and interact with you. Uh, so the microphone's always on. Uh, that said, all that have a button that you could easily hit to just turn that off. Um, there are some other things that you could configure around how long it stays engaged uh so if you say alexa and then don't follow up how long is it perked up if you will you could shorten that sort of stuff down but by default it is always listening because it's waiting for you to give it a voice command uh amazon got into some hot water when alexa first came out because they were storing some of this stuff longer than they should have been or that they disclosed it. they claimed it was for quality purposes they're improving the app improving the machine learning under the hood that interacts with the humans uh they got into some hot water over that in the states uh, so it's not as bad as it used to be but uh, if you have those devices at your house and you don't want it listening all the time just go hit the button, turn it off, and turn it on when you want to interact with it. That's a little bit counterintuitive in terms of just being able to say the whatever the keyword is to get it up and running and have it answer whatever you're asking. But if you are that concerned about it, yeah, turn the mic off. Because otherwise it is listening all the time. And that is, there's a little CPU in the device itself. So it is a little mini computer in that disk or the, the tower that you may have. But that's all going to Amazon's cloud 24-7. It never stops. So if you actually want to break that, you do have to hit the mute button. And again, the function of having a speaker-looking thing that you can talk into and it answers questions for you, is that for ease of use? Like, is that actually is it a functional feature? Yeah, so I actually uh, have... Amazon Alexa Echo Dots all throughout my house, and I've got a big one in the living room. So uh, my two big use, uh, my three big use cases are just tell me what the weather is going to be, 
um, setting timers for cooking. <laughs> like, <laughs> set a 15 minute steak timer, set a 20 minute pizza timer, stuff like that. Uh, and music, right? So uh, there you go. <laughs> I guess Alexa, cancel timer. That's too late. Anyways. <laughs> that's predominantly what I use it for is just you know quick news snippets and um and uh, timers and uh and music so and for someone who's obviously in the know when it comes to security and online all, all that info do you have any concerns about having so many devices or do you kind of you know how to operate them safely enough yeah, so I was gonna say the follow-up to that is uh, when you get one of those devices, there's a, a control app that you can put on your phone or you can do it through the internet browser if you want. Uh, you can set a lot of settings to be more private. Uh, again, it's kind of this implied consent that, oh, we're gonna store this for seven days and we're gonna keep these transactions and you're agreeing to quality control so that we can approve it. I turn all that off. Do your quality control on your own time. That's not, that's not my business. So uh, yeah, I've, I've got it tightened, but uh, I do leave the mics on basically all the time. I mean, there's nothing confidential happening in my house that I'm worried about. Uh, I mean, I don't have one in my bedroom. <laughs> that would be assault. Uh, there's one in the kitchen, one in the TV room, one in the living room, and I got one here in my home office. But uh, yeah, I mean... Um, I was a little bit slow to, to start using them. Uh, fun story. The first one I got, I actually went to an Amazon web conference, uh, services web conference down in Las Vegas. They have this big thing called reInvent every year. They get 20,000 geeks in the room and Bezos and uh, Werner Vogels do their thing and talk about how amazing their cloud is. And for the first couple of years, they gave out Echo Dots as one of the swag gifts that you got. So I got home, looked at it, like, yeah, I'm not interested. <laughs> so they sat in a box collecting dust for a couple of years. Uh, but I ended up getting one for my mom. Uh, just, you know, just something to interact with and just get basic info with. And I thought to myself, I got two of these. Why am I not using So I, I started using them. And now it's kind of funny, you know. I caught myself uh, this past summer uh, we uh when the travel restrictions lifted a bit, we have a cottage in Manitoba that we went to, and I caught myself once in the kitchen cooking, and I said, Alexa, send me a timer. <laughs> we don't have that here, you idiot. <laughs> you definitely get used to it having, being around. Well, and, and call me cynical, but I find it a bit surprising that by turning all that stuff off and, you know, okay, don't track this, don't store this, it kind of amazes me that they actually abide by that. I don't know. Maybe it's just a bit of a cynical perspective on my part, but because you would think. No, I think you're right to be cynical. Um, and, you know, it's at some point you take an organization like that. Um, how do they build trust? How do they make you trust them? Right. And, and so that's a big deal to Amazon. I mean, I know them well beyond that platform just for my professional career, uh, you know, they deal with a lot of, like, they have a, two data centers or, well, they call them a, um, regions in the States that are built specifically for U.S. government, military, and all that. Like, so they take security very, very seriously. Uh, but for the consumer apps, you know, they do kind of offload the Otis to you to make it more restrictive. And again, it's this default, this concept of the default opt-in. It's like, well, you're using this platform why wouldn't you want to share all this information with us? Well, because I don't. <laughs> it's that simple, right? So, 
And I am going to throw the microphone off. There we go. <laughs> Coming in again. Yeah, that's right. She's like trying to set three timers in the last couple of minutes. <laughs> like, are you, are you cooking pasta right now? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This guy's having a, having a fit. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's so funny because, you know, again, I've, I mentioned before, just because I, I really don't have a good understanding of any of this stuff, really. So it, a lot of this stuff is just kind of somewhat difficult to understand more from like the psychological perspective, but, but as far as the software itself, one of the things that I was wondering is, uh, how about we go, let's say Apple. Sure. They have users worldwide. Yep. And how does, so if you have, does the information get stored at, their headquarters in the states or do they have like how how does the information because their users are worldwide how does how does that kind of all come together all these big tech shops so like all up amazon apple um google uh, i'll use those three as examples uh they have points of presence globally they've got data centers literally on every continent on the planet save antarctica so um Typically, your data will be close to you, not necessarily in your country. Uh, so if you're using an Amazon service here in BC, Amazon's got it, what they call them regions, as I mentioned, where they have collections of data centers. They have one in Canada, but it's in Quebec. Uh, so unless you're specifically subscribing to services out of that region, if you're just using something like Alexa, I can next to guarantee you this is interacting with their region in Oregon. Um, so if data residency matters to you, you actually generally have to specifically pick where you sync with. But the point being, all these providers, Google included, they've, they've actually got a presence here in Western Canada. So Google's a little bit better in that regard for Canadians. Um, but generally speaking, they have data centers in all major countries across the globe. Um, and if not in your country, generally a neighboring country. So like in Europe, you're probably not going to be in your own country, but you're going to be within the EU. Uh, it's funny, Amazon and Apple both had to scramble when Brexit occurred uh, mm -hmm. because there's some pretty tight data laws. So all of a sudden, Amazon spun up a big region in London and Apple had to do the same and Google had to do the same because they were all actually in Ireland because it was more cost advantageous to be in the EU. Anyways, there's, there's some trickery there around financing and all that. But it's, it's funny how you know countries can self-determine to an extent where this stuff goes, but a lot of it is, you know, it's it's geographically probably the closest, not necessarily in your country. And that's more true for a country like Canada, it's so big um, and not necessarily you're gonna have data centers in a local region. If I was inclined to hack some information, to me, you know, it's kind of like, why would you, why would you rob one person on the street when you can rob a bank? And when it comes to this type of information, when it comes to the data centers, how vulnerable are they to somebody externally trying to get in there and, and take that information? Or is that even, is that even something that somebody would even want to do? Is that even worth the effort? Uh, so for the big providers like Amazon, Google, and Apple, I wish you luck trying to get in. <laughs> Seriously, uh, the physical security is off the charts. Um, and they all have very tight security controls around, uh, 
if you don't have a purpose to be there, you're not even allowed on the property, stuff like that. Um, so, and they, of course, they take security very seriously, uh, you know, on-site security guards, walls, barbed wire, biometrics, you name it, they got it. Um, in terms of stealing personal data over the wire, like trying to hack it over the actual internet, there is value in that to getting stuff from individuals i think uh but i'll use the colonial pipeline hack that just occurred down in the united states last week as a more uh suitable example for what you typically see from these uh cyber criminal organizations is and, and that's not even really a hack in my mind what they got was called ransomware so someone discovered a vulnerability into the company's network and installed an agent that encrypts all of the systems. And the shtick is, okay, you want your systems back, pay the ransom, or the data is gone. So and that's become very common in the last uh, five, six years. Uh, I've actually run an environment where that happened to us. Um, it was not a lot of fun. <laughs> it was, uh, I was actually at a White Caps game one Saturday afternoon about four years ago. And the phone started ringing when I got home and it was my boss. And I was like, well, he's not calling me to say hello on a Saturday. <laughs> and of course I had had one too many beers at the game. <laughs> that was a fun weekend, but yeah, we, and we got ransomware. And uh, thankfully we had a good backup and, you know, we lost about six hours of data in the worst case scenario on a couple of systems, but you know, that's generally how you recover uh, companies that pay the ransom almost always, if they have a backup, it's not recent enough or there's some issue with it or um, they don't have that at all because uh, paying these guys to get your the encryption key to get your data back this will just stamp sucker i'm open for business on your forehead because it's coming again because unless you identified how it got in to begin with they'll be right back so to me it's very interesting that colonial paid it uh i read an article that indicated that they did have backups but to get the backups in place and restored was going to take upwards of four days or something like that and they just decided that cost to the business versus the five million bucks that they paid reportedly, just pay the five million. Which you know, that's a, that's amazing that some bean counter made that determination. It's like, no, 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 just pay that five million because four days is going to screw us even worse. Well, and and like you pointed out too, like you, you, you know, I mean, every movie we don't negotiate with terrorists, right? All that crap, right? Yeah. You always read that, and that's for that reason because if you do it once, you set the precedent that. Yeah, maybe they'll do it again. So yeah, it's really interesting that uh, an oil company would be just like, yeah, pay it, whatever. Let's yeah, and to me, it's even more like, why do you even trust them, right? Like, thanks for the five bills, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, there's a big risk to that element, uh, or risk with that element of it to me as well. I mean, my you know, if if you ever get if you own a business and you ever get ransomware, uh, paying should absolutely be the last resort. Uh, you know. Uh, Hopefully the infrastructure you have in place with respect to backups and your recovery capabilities make that a moot point. But uh, paying should almost always be the last option in my mind because you're already dealing with a criminal, let's call him a scumbag, right? Like, why do you trust them, right? And, you know, who says the tool even works, right? Or that, you know, there's just too much risk there. With ransomware, is that something like the idea of, hacking or uh, or you know holding data uh, hostage is that something that was kind of around once data storage became a thing or is that because it i don't recall no, i don't because it's not even unique to cloud systems um a lot of the ransomware stuff you see 
uh, and it happens here in Canada too. A lot of it is hospitals get targeted and little uh, municipal local governments get targeted because they tend to have weaker IT security controls around stuff. And it's not even always systems that you, uh, the systems that get targeted aren't always that important, but they keep the business running, right? You know, So take Colonial by way of example, the controllers that actually managed the pipeline didn't get hacked at all. That system was in place. It was all the personal computers and the servers that people use for email and everything else to run the company that got locked out. You know, who cares if your pipeline's running if you can't run the company, right? So, um, but the point being, back to the original question, it, I don't think the cloud really had anything to do with it or the advent of big data. I think it was just criminals realized there's a market here to hold people ransom and you know, uh, however we can get in, you know, whatever system we get, let's target that. And again, it's not always necessarily a mission critical system with respect to what you might think of the business operations, but if the company can't function without whatever that system is, and you don't have a good backup, you know, that's, that's where they're rolling the dice and trying to pay, get the ransoms. Not that I'm at all condoning uh, illegal activity by this next comment, but it really is fascinating how ingenious people are at like finding vulnerabilities and then exploiting them. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it has always been like that. Right. It's, it's always like the original hack is buffer overflows. Right. And it's just like, you think back to these original mainframe systems that were designed and it's like, okay, we're going to be very, I got to get a little bit technical here. We're going to get very specific with network packet sizes. They're always going to be 1500 NTUs. Why would anyone ever break that? And the systems were designed not to be resilient to handle something that was 15 and one, 1500 and one bytes. So like the original hacks, like these buffer overflows, that's literally what they were, were just bad actors sending big network packets that these systems could handle and would bring them to their knees. It's like, because everyone has the good intention. Why would anyone do anything bad? Well, well people do bad things. <laughs> that's just the way it is. And it is kind of amazing, right? Just, you know, and it's, it even goes back to the original conversation we're having around Facebook. All the, Good intentions, right? But, uh, you know, people start using it for nefarious means. Yeah, and, and just thinking back to the 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 Cambridge Analytica breach or leak or, you know, however you want to refer to it as, why was that so newsworthy? Because it, it doesn't really seem like what they were doing was all that unique. It wasn't uh, at all unique, and that's the thing. I think it was just... Yeah, who knows why the media latches on to certain stories more so than others. I mean, I think it was just the the profile of the breach itself, right? And the, the actors involved. Um, because it certainly wasn't the first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, this might be a little bit uh, kind of veering off uh, your area of expertise, just kind of being a little more general, but kind of link linking to that with Trump, how he's banned off... Uh, is it Facebook and Twitter? Twitter for both sure. Of them, yeah, he's off both, yeah. But it's just interesting how a tech company, how a social media company can just say, we're not going to let you use this platform, but we're a free platform anyway. And it's like, well, where do you draw the line on cutting people off the platform? Yeah, but that's, I don't know. The only issue I'll take with that, Marcus, is that it, it's, uh, Twitter is a private entity, right? Um, so just like a publisher of a hard copy book can refuse to publish an author's book, what's the difference, right? Mm, that's a good point. 
I mean, so that's that's the way I would look at that. So yeah, you don't pay to use Twitter per se, but it's still a private platform. I mean, you're agreed to their terms of service to use it. So I mean, if Trump wants, he can go stand out front of Mar-a-Lago and spew all the crap he wants. <laughs> well, it's, he still has his free. I, I get, I get exactly what you're saying. To me, it's not an infringement to free speech, though, because um, it's a private organization, and private organizations are allowed to set their own rules. I mean, obviously, there's there's limits within that, but if uh, let's say you're a member of a golf club and you break the rules, they're well within their rights to revoke your membership, right? So, I mean, this is it's not quite apples to apples, and I and I get the point you're making, but to me. Twitter is it subject to free speech requirements? That's a really good point because I think what you just pointed out and having listening to, to you say that, you actually pointed out something really funny, which is a bit of an ignorant, ignorant view on my point, which is that uh, entitlement, like we're entitled okay. because it is a, like now that I, I listen to you, I kind of worked that my argument out in my head and I'm like, yeah, actually that is where that comes from is because it's, it's free. Why can't I use this? But I mean, there's that sense yeah. of entitlement. Yeah, I know. And it is interesting because, you know, you get, especially in the United States right now, it is a bit of a hot button topic. And there, there is a, the GOP, the Republicans feel that there is free speech infringement here. And I think they're wrong. That's, you know, that's my interpretation of how it works. Um, you know, he agreed to the terms of services, chose to violate them repeatedly. And got booted off the platform. Yeah, that choice had a consequence, right? I mean, it's just I like people get banned from these platforms all the time, right? For actually much less. <laughs> so you know, he uh, kind of ran out of control towards the end of his Twitter handle account. But yeah, um, I, I get both sides of that argument. But to me, ultimately, no one is entitled to use Twitter, right? I mean, if Twitter wanted to shut down their entire platform tomorrow, they're well within their rights to do so. Yeah, that that that's a good point because I don't think I don't think people. Well, I, I certainly now, now I am because you pointed it out. So now yeah. I'm adjusting it in my head. But yeah, I think that's true because why why couldn't they just unplug it? We're done. Pack it yeah, up. Yeah. You know, it's we're a private entity. We can do what we want. Yeah. But the but the attitude, I guess, or the social perception is, you know, this is here. Well, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's the. Um society's sense of entitlement to certain services that we've become accustomed to right and it's just you know we, we think we're owed something more often than not and are we really i don't know right well and with trump too right you can go on fox news or you know whatever platform you want you go to youtube you know as long as youtube doesn't boot you off well, he, he got bad for them too actually as he mentioned that but yeah, no, that's the point, though. I mean, he's free to go on Newsmax or OAN or Fox News or, you know, or he could print his own newsletters, what have you. I mean, he does actually have his own website now. That's been his response to it. He's, uh, I think it's deskofdonaldjtrump.com. And it's a hilarious, I'm sure Jared Kushner had some tech bro <laughs> from college charge him a couple hundred grand to set it up because it's a joke of a WordPress site. Like, knowing the tech, it's nothing. But that's his platform now, right? And if you want to go read it, you're free to go do so, right? And I don't want to make it sound like I'm I'm crying for Trump or anything like that. Yep. He annoys the shit out of me. It's just, you know, there is, a, there is always... You, I think it's good to be hesitant or at least to question the idea of 
free speech, particularly because yep. it seems to be. I don't disagree with that at all. And, you know, um, freedom of speech doesn't mean you get to hear only what you want to hear, right? Mm. People are entitled to have opposite opinions, opinions that might be offensive to you even, right? But um, the platform that you deliver that speech on is the question, right? And that's, to me, that's kind of what it always, always boils down to. Yeah, well, and kind of to further that, the, that, yeah. I, I, I'll ignore that point I was going to make. That's okay. But yeah, it, it's just, it, it is interesting. Just that idea that uh, particularly for my generation or younger within, within the ballpark of, of my age, like that idea that that kind of entitlement, cause that does seem to be, that does seem to be the attitude, you know, it really does. The reality is you, more or less grew up with it right i mean that's it's kind of always been there right so you know it's it's understandable i think mm -hmm. yeah interesting i'm gonna have to think about the yeah that free speech thing is interesting too just because but yeah like you pointed out it is a private entity and anyway i won't go much further on that I mean, if they were government run it's a whole other ball game but they're mm -hmm. a private corp and you know they're free to set their own rules and uh, you know interestingly enough uh the Republican Party is the party of, you know, companies can self-determine what they can yeah. do, right? And all of a sudden, <laughs> well, you got to let them back on Twitter. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Doesn't really jive to me, but. Yeah. Well, and then you got the, the liberals on the other side who are all free speech, free this, free that. And they're the ones who shut down a lot of people, but we're not going to get involved in that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to think about, yeah. But. Just be happy we live in Canada. That's the way I look. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. My goodness, so so fortunate, and and West Coast too. That that's a Fair enough. Yeah, added yeah. bonus. Yeah, we're eh, pretty much out of time, but we'll I'll, okay. I'll uh, just kind of for closing remarks. You did mention we you definitely did mention it earlier, but just in conclusion, like when it comes to security and people's devices and cloud and, and all that stuff, what would be something that you would tell people just, you know, do this to protect yourself? Uh, two things, uh, well, probably more than two, but the first one, don't leave everything on default settings. Uh, when you get a new device, uh, you know, whether that's a new home router or a new phone or what have you, whatever the default security is, the default admin password, whatever, change it, don't just leave it open. Um, the other thing to me is just uh, be aware that a lot of technology has been delivered to you with implied consent, right? They're, they're just assuming that you're ready, willing, and able to share uh, data from the device itself or, or what have you. Uh, just be aware that that's the default setting. And, you know, if you care, uh, make sure you turn that all off. Um, you know, obviously with for your own laptop or email accounts, what have you, uh, strong passwords <laughs> and turn on MFA if, it, if it's an option. You know, it, yeah, it can be a little bit annoying every once in a while to have to go through that extra step, but it's better than being hacked. Think of it that way. That's great. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I, I was a little bit nervous for this one just because I'm like, oh, I don't know a lot about this stuff, but. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, you know, uh, it was a fun conversation. Um, you know, social media is not necessarily my forte, but I'm fairly opinionated on it, as I'm sure you figured out by now. But uh, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun chatting about this stuff. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, sir.